0: great lesson today and got the best verses. I feel like it's sort of the crescendo after our last week and I enjoyed hearing Donna teach last week. Um, maybe I'll just, maybe you should open your Bibles. Even though it's just a few verses, there's so many words and um, we're just going to take it little bit by little bit, but I will, um, I'll read the passage one more time. It's Romans 8, 28 to 30. And maybe someone could chime out the page number when you get there. 1133. Three. 1 what? 1133. In the pew. Okay. <laughs> in the pew. The Bibles in the pew. We know And my version's a little bit different, so. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified." It's like, wah! All right. So, who are you? I, when people, people ask often, what do you do? We think about who are we? I have been a lot of things, but one of the things I've been a long, long time, really since I was probably five, and my mother started giving me chores, was a is a housekeeper. Really am a housekeeper, and I I especially love to have clean windows. I'm sure you've been wondering what this is. And I just love clean windows. And I want to tell you about a big picture window where I just was visiting in this house and I cleans this window. So what do you do? use to clean windows? I have, I just found this at IKEA. It's a really cool tool and it goes like this, you know, on the windows. Very handy. I like to have clean cloths to start and then paper towels. I'm sure you all have a strategy for cleaning windows. Um, <laughs> The the problem that happens in October at this particular picture window, oh, and let me just tell you, the view is what it's all about. I look out the window and there are mountains on either side, there's this hillside that rolls down to a marsh, and then if you look way into the distance, it's the ocean. It's just breathtaking. The clouds are always moving. I sometimes will see bald eagles just do flybys by this window. And if you look in the marsh, blue heron are fishing. And once, just once, when I was looking out the window, a moose came out of the woods and just looked quietly across to the other side. So the view is glorious. It's just, you just kind of want to sit in front of this, which I do, and <laughs> sit in front of the window and take in the view. But in October, and I was just at this window in October, flies start crawling up the window. I don't know where they come from. I, I go along the edges of the window looking for holes. They don't fly around the room. They just keep crawling up the window. And I have all sorts of strategies to get rid of the flies. This is not a good strategy, by the way, because you do this, then what happens? Bug guts everywhere. And you have to then get out your paper towels and your wind out whatever you use. And I've been known. And I'm so sorry for the people who are listening to this because they're totally missing out on my props and uh, drama here. But I use a vacuum. And I vacuum, I vacuum up the flies. But let me tell you the problem with this is that you vacuum them up and like an hour later, they, I don't know where they come from. They just keep coming. And what I realize is, I only have a limited time in front of this window, and I'm missing the view. If I just spend all my time trying to get rid of these flies, I miss the view. And when I read this, you may be wondering where we're going with this, but when I read this passage, the first thing I see here is all things. And I thought, gracious, that's sort of like these flies. And me, and who I am, it's all through this passage. And on the other side of the glass is the glory. It's what Donna was talking about, how we're what we're waiting for. We just want to get there. And we certainly don't want our view messed up. And we don't want distractions. We so easily get distracted. What I found with these slides is, they were distracting me, they were disappointing me, they were discouraging me, they made me a little bit angry, really wanted to get rid of them. And there is no getting rid of them sometimes. So who am I? Many roles, housekeeper. But what I I also want to tell you is that I am also one who loves God. If you see the end of this first phrase, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. So this pro- this verse promises that all these things are working together for good. Maybe you thought that if you loved God, bad things wouldn't happen. Maybe in your life, you've thought because you're not seeing the good in some of these things that you must not love God enough, or something's wrong with you, or maybe, and I have fit into all of these categories on my journey, and maybe you have too, but maybe the all things are so overwhelmingly bad, and you know in your gut you're just not going to get over it, um, and how could it really ever be good? You might think this isn't true. You might start thinking, well, maybe, maybe the word of God isn't true. Like sometimes it's not just flies, ladies. Sometimes a bomb drops, the glass breaks, it's like Humpty Dumpty, and there's no putting the pieces back together again. So, and actually this happened in a window in the same house. I went upstairs and like there was no glass in the window, and I had to get cardboard, duct tape. I duct taped the whole thing up and had it on the window. The thing is, what's on the other side never changes. We see that in this passage too. Sometimes the view is obscured, and we need some professional help, And. Up, like in this upstairs window, what I was seeing is all winter raccoons coming in and out, like the damage that could be done interiorly because of that huge disaster. Um, sometimes it's that bad. But what I want you to see today, and I think what Paul does a beautiful job of, is reminding us and cheering us along and telling us this truth. And I think it's interesting, at the very beginning of the passage, he says, We know this is not contradicting anything in the entire Bible. We have heard it over and over again. If you have chosen to follow Christ, if you love God, we know this, and we need to remind each other, we need to tell our stories like. I think the women did at the Betty that it's called. Just this telling our stories, like Donna shared last week about her daughter dying. We tell our stories and we remind each other of the truth. And I do believe that this is true. This is the word of God. And when I used to teach children in Bible study fellowship, we always on the floor, always open the Bible, And we started with, this is God's word, and it is true. And I believe that. And I say that to myself. That's a good reminder, too. It is true. So I want us to read these words like you might hear a coach or a dear friend as words of encouragement that we as followers of Christ and image bearers are being conformed into his image, and it's good news and it should bring joy to us. Even though we're on this side of the window, as Donna said, we're waiting, we can be people of joy, even though we carry all things, and really, all the time. I mean, things just kind of happen, right? All things happen. So I've divided this into four parts. First, we'll talk about the all things. Second, we'll talk about the good. Third, the way God sees us as predestined, justified, and lastly, glorified. So first, all things. Some important things to understand about all things is that just because we're followers of Christ doesn't mean our circumstances are different from anyone else. We are part of the human condition. Even if we are people who study the Bible, who attend worship, who um, follow Christ as best as we can. All things happen. And it's just interesting, isn't it, that we we have that phrase, um, oh, you know, bad things can't happen to good people. It's such a shame. They're such good people. People just, we just think that. There's nothing in anywhere in this entire Bible (laughs) that should make us think that. And, again, we need to remind each other of the truth. So, Paul says, we know this. And I want you to notice that the verse does not promise that if you love God, good things will happen in your life. Tim Keller, who is a retired pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, he says in these verses, The gospel doesn't promise better life circumstances. It promises better life. So again, we can be in a place of joy. And that is a mystery, but it's true. Even so, we have our our vision obscured often. These verses do not promise that bad things are actually good things. Often in our, um, at least in my experience in um, Christian fellowship or whatever, we often are very quick to want to fix our friends' problems. You know, like, it's okay, God is good, don't worry, it's going to get better. And there is, I just want to point out, there is a time when it's, bad things are bad, guys. There's some really bad things. And we all know that. We've had friends. We have family. Bad things are bad. And, some, and we just, we need to grieve and we need to own it and not pretend that they're not bad. I love in John chapter 11, verse 33 and 34, when Jesus meets Mary and Martha and they're like, where have you been? This wouldn't have happened if you were here. Lazarus wouldn't have died. And, which is true, probably. But, The beauty to me, and what I have found so reassuring in this passage, is that Jesus wept. These people were crying. I mean, just think about it. Many of you have probably been at the bedside of someone dying. It is hard. And this was their brother, and they were with him at bedside. He has died, he's been dead three days. And they are sad. People are crying in this scene. I mean, the family's gathering. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, it's okay, I'm going to fix this. He understands that pain and suffering. He, he enters into it with them and he cries. And I have always loved that. So, secondly, what is the good and when will you see it? Because it is true that God works all things together for good. So... What is that? I I noticed, I did this study um, in the book that you're using, and Trillia, is that how you say her name? She pointed out that number one, the transformation takes place in our hearts as we walk in faith, that that can be the good. And number two, that the good is the glory to come. And I think that's right on. Um, But I do think we might not realize it ever. (laughs) And that um, we might not understand it, and we might not feel better. Sometimes, yes. And um, I don't know if you guys are followers of Kate Bowler, who's written the book Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. And she has a podcast. It's called Everything Happens. And interestingly, just two or three weeks ago, she interviewed Jerry Sitzer. Um, who wrote the book A Grace Disguise way back in the 90s. And back in the 90s, Jerry Sitzer became a hero of mine. Just really loved that book. I also had some bomb-shattering, glass-breaking things in my life. And Jerry Sitzer's book helped me a lot deal with this very passage. Anyway, in this book, he... I mean, actually, he says it in the book. But 30 years later, Kate is interviewing him. And he just says, you know, um, he was in a head-on car collision where his mother, his wife, and his daughter were all killed. And he had three other children in the car. One of them was injured. One of them was David Sitzer, who you might know, who has just moved to Washington, but he was a part of our congregation here. Anyway, Jerry said he still viscerally can feel ill, that he still is sad, that there's nothing good about what happened in his eyes, and that it stays with you. And um, he says we live in this tension of no answer in this lifetime. We choose to love, and we integrate this grief and we move forward. He talks about carrying the grief, it's sort of part of who we are. Um, I've always, when I talk about the grief, I've experienced, I often say, well, you know, um, it's like a piece of you's amputated and you learn to live with it. You learn to do well, actually, but it doesn't mean it didn't happen. And even so, all of that, it is true that God is gonna work it for good sometime in, our, in the entirety or totality of our life, but we just might not realize it. Um, and I think that in knowing that, I can be in a place of joy and peace. Um, and maybe you found that too and can testify to that truth. So, to review Tim Keller's phrases, which I find so helpful. The promise is not that if you love God, good things will happen in your life. The promise is not that if you love God, the bad things are really good. The promise is not that we will see how every bad patch in our lives works out for good. The promise is that God will take the bad things and he'll work them for good in totality. And in light of that, we can have joy in the midst. And Paul goes on, because this is like a cheer to say, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. So it's this identity and this idea um, which he is reminding us, which you know. It's this assurance. Your author in the book calls this whole section assurance. You can be sure. This predestined means it's fixed. It's done. It's immovable. If you love God, you can count on this promise. No matter what, as Donna said last week, it's like it's guaranteed you will be conformed in the image of Christ. Wow! I mean, that's like worth really celebrating. It's worth a big smile in your day, no matter what your circumstances If we can fix our mind and self and being on who we are like that, it's very good news. And your study went through some really fabulous passages, and um, I won't read them all now, uh, but I would recommend in your group just reading those words. Like in Ephesians 1.4 and Philippians 1.6, there were psalms, some... Verses in Psalms and Isaiah, I mean, they're all so rich about being known. On that banner, just actually you can probably see it over here, the Reality Ministries sort of key words. God is for us. It is easy to understand. You do not have to be writing your Ph.D. You don't have to be a theologian or be in divinity school to get that. It is something all of us can know and understand in the deepest part of our being, that God is for you and knows you. Not only that, adopts you into his family. Deuteronomy 31.6, God will never leave you or forsake you. And in 1 Peter 1.2, you have been chosen and destined by God. Deeply knowing this brings joy beyond circumstances. And ladies, I really believe until we understand this promise, we will continue to be shocked and overthrown by these bugs, by the bad circumstances that will continue on and on and on in our life. Tim Keller said, and sorry, I'm also a big fan of Tim Keller. (laughs) He said, Jesus did not suffer so that you would not suffer. He suffered so that when you suffer, you will become like him. Verse 30, again, talks Paul, it's the cheer. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. So what is justified? I I really liked how your author in your study said it's justification is like we are seen by God as if we always obeyed. And again, we see this over and over in Scripture, and your author gave you fabulous verses. um, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are image bearers, says in 1 Corinthians 15, 49. We are God's children, 1 John 3, 2. And every week in this sanctuary, our pastor holds up a cup and a chalice and pours the cup and says, My blood poured out. For you, Jesus, in the Last Supper with his disciples, he instructed them that the way he wanted to be remembered was not when he was floated up into the clouds or not when he was performing miracles or walking on water or whatever. He wants us, he needs us and for our sakes to remember that his blood was shed and he was broken so that we might be able to be with him in eternity and to be justified, to be seen like we've always obeyed. I am not super obedient. I mean, we, you know, we, we sin and fall short all the time, and sometimes the things on this glass that make a mess are my doing. And the way the Lord sees us, This is clear. Like it's like no glass. He's outside of time. Like this is the view is perfect in God's eyes. The way He sees us, we're white as snow. The work has been done. Jesus has risen from the dead and has saved us. Again, that's worthy of good news and being joyful about to be people who can smile and. Carry a lot of joy. Lastly, in verse 30, we're told that we will be glorified. And Donna spoke beautifully about this, and it's also earlier in this chapter. But um, we are sons of God and we are adopted, and it's an intimate relationship. There are no second class citizens in God's family. When you give your life to Christ, you receive all the benefits. You are promised a life of greatness and joy forever. And if you were in worship last week, Dave Dunderdale ended his sermon on Sunday reminding us that the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman is just a glimpse of God's faithfulness to us. God says to us, I do. And I will. And this is great, great news. We can have a heart filled with peace and joy because of this. So we do not lose heart for this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure because we look at not what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. For what can, can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. So even if there's cardboard on your window and you cannot see the other side, it is fixed. It's not changing. God has got it. He's, he's got it. So ladies, there are many flies that we can't control and they keep coming. So many things that can distract and discourage us from keeping our eye on the prize. Um, Some things that are not fixable. But God has fixed the problem. And we need to trust that and hold on to it. And we need to remind each other all the time. I, I need reminders every day. So how can you remember all this? Or how can we keep our mind on the real, the big picture? Like, look into the distance, the big perspective. How do we do that? So there's some things we can't change. We've talked about that. But there are, there are strategies, and you probably have them. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a housekeeper, and I know some strategies to keep this window clean. As a Christ follower, we have some strategies. Um, I would call those spiritual disciplines or practices. And the spiritual discipline of studying the Word and being in community is a wonderful discipline. So I just want to applaud all of you and those listening that this is a wonderful way. And I think, like, I've been in Bible study for 30, like, 35 years, a long time and I really think it is just the best way of reminding each other and hearing the word. Secondly, um, and this is just one of the latest discipline for me, and I'm sure, again, in group, share your strategies because I think we can encourage each other in how we can keep this perspective, how we keep this window as clean as we can so we can see as well as we can. just lately for me, um, scripture memorization, Bible memory, has really helped me more than I could have imagined. And interestingly, and I ha- uh, in the 19, maybe 1985, I, was, I know just where I was sitting, in here, in the way back view there, Pastor Ed Henniger, Becky's dad, he had us all open our Bibles to First Peter 2 chapter uh, 1 Peter 2 verse 9. And we all memorized it. Maybe Donna, I don't know if you were here then, but we all memorized, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. I did not grow up in a background where we memorized Scripture. I was a church attender, but I really, I didn't do that. And the interesting thing is, this has been, just doing that in 1984 and entering that into my brain file, I cannot tell you how many times it comes to my mind. I use it with my kids or with other, you know, but mostly me, like you are one of God's people. I keep reminding myself, And it's because I had it in my head in the middle of the night or whatever. I, at that time, was working day-night shift as a pediatric nurse. I was a new grad, a newlywed, and always a housekeeper. But this made me see that I am a child of God. It changed how I saw myself and my identity. So, the truth is, God is for us, works for good, even if we don't understand it. The Lord sees us as if we've always obeyed. We are justified. He glorifies us and says, I do, I will. This will never change. Like we sang last Thursday, he holds us fast. And just this Sunday, I loved how we sang, On Christ the solid rock I stand. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, but then I will know fully, even as, as I have been fully known. The gospel doesn't promise better circumstances. The gospel promises a better life. Jesus didn't suffer so that you would not suffer. Jesus suffered so that you would be conformed in his image. And Jesus said himself, In me you may have peace. In the world you will face persecution. But take courage, for I have conquered the world. John 16, verse 33. This place, in front of this window... With all these things, good things, bad things, whatever they are, whoever you are, and whatever you do, you can be sure that God is for you. And that's not going to change. The view on the other side doesn't change. And we need to gaze out and delight at the glory. Amen. Amen.